0: Love Talk Radio.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Unexplained World, Internet Radio Broadcast. With your host, Edward Shanahan, a paranormal, spiritual observer, and psychic reader, along with Annette, a high priestess, and psychic reader, The Unexplained World is a location where the border between the natural and supernatural may become nothing more than fuzzy, so enjoy. Listeners, welcome to the January twenty fourth broadcast of the Unexplained World. With your host Ed Shanahan, it's me, Annette. Hello, Annette.
0: Hello, Ed. How are you tonight? Oh, I'm doing
1: fine. I know you're. Uh, uh, <laughs>
0: I got my nail you. biter. I'm watching the Six Saints play the championship game. It's tied with the Vikings, and oh my goodness! I had to turn <laughs> it's it. A on. Tiebreaker.
1: I, I turn it on too. So. Uh, don't do so, that. <laughs> the um, Saints
0: are my team, and they, you know, they never get this far, and I'm so excited. I want them to go to the bowl. I told uh, you the today. What? what
1: the way Brett Favre threw that last one away? It's like if they don't get it, it's nobody's fault by his, you know. So, <laughs> but he does look old sitting there on that bench.
0: I'll tell you that, man. Well, he's a good man. I, you know, I don't. Oh, he's dangerous. as a quarterback. He's awesome, but.
1: Yeah, he's, he's had dangerous. lots
0: of last games. We're good. <laughs> he's had enough.
1: He's dangerous as a quarterback, that's for sure.
0: So. Yeah. Uh.
1: <laughs> and I thought it was going to end right before the show started, but mm-mm. okay.
0: Uh,
1: let me make a couple announcements before we bring okay. our guests on, and our okay. guest is waiting in the background. Um, sure. Paranormal Casebook at. ParanormalCasebook.com, a daily free newsletter on all the paranormal things that hit the internet the day before um it's a free daily newsletter and then we got haunted american tours at hauntedamericantours.com it is all things paranormal from articles and tours to people in the paranormal field so um and really for things that we have coming up let's go to EdwardShanahan.com or HauntedHistoricLocations.com, uh, sign up for the free email newsletter, monthly newsletter. It will be coming out um, the first week of February, so you want to get to our guests?
0: I would love to. Our guest tonight is Larry Arnold. He, um, after leaving Lafayette College and his brief career in engineering, Larry founded the Paris Science International in 1976 to pursue the exploration of 40 anomalies in the, un- the consciousness. His 1978 controversial article, Meltdown, at TMI 2, would eight months later be termed by the New York Times as uncannily accurate. Um, it foretold the accident Three Mile Island. Um, we have him here tonight to talk to us about a blaze, his book about the mysterious fires, the spontaneous human combustion, and he also is the author of the Reiki Handbook, He appears on hundreds of radio shows and TV shows. So I give you Larry Arnold tonight. Larry, are you with us?
2: We're here. Good evening, Ed and Annette. How are you doing?
0: Fine, thank you. And yourself?
2: We trust we'll get through this hour with you. We're on a BOIP line. We could not get our lane line to work to you folks tonight. So we're hearing some breakup at our end. Hopefully, we're coming through clean to you guys.
0: I can hear your voice. It sounds good. A little scratchy in the background, but we'll live. All right. Um, Larry. Oh, Larry, welcome. Yes,
2: welcome. Thank you. It's a delight and to be with you this evening. We certainly have picked a fascinating subject to converse about with your listeners and yourselves this evening.
0: Yes, we have. Can you give us your definition of spontaneous human combustion?
2: We'd be delighted to, and this is based on more than 30 years of research into the phenomenon, We see spontaneous human combustion as the phenomenon and process whereby a person's body can smoke, blister, or otherwise combust in the absence of contact with a known, identifiable, nearby, external ignition source or burn agent. That is, the person blisters or smokes or burns in the absence of contact with a flame or caustic chemicals or radioactive material Or high amperage source or nearby radiant heat. If you can rule out those factors as being present in the localized environment where this phenomenon occurs then you have to consider spontaneous human combustion.
0: Hmm. So what do you think is it a myth or do you think it's a real thing?
2: It's an absolute real thing in our physical world this does happen.
0: Huh okay but tell us your background, and how you how did you get interested in spontaneous human combustion? It's kind of one of those rare rarities.
2: <laughs> yeah, there are not a lot of people pursuing it. Uh, we just saw a National Geo program an hour ago on, on Bigfoot. Lots of people are stalking the forests of the world looking for Bigfoot, Yetis, you know, that kind of thing. Um, lots and lots of people have been investigating the sort of ufology for decades. But spontaneous human combustion is one of those very intriguing, fascinating, morbid, if you will, Fordian phenomena that doesn't attract a whole lot of dedicated interest, and kind of through the back door, we came, became interested in this subject, having read a book in junior high school by Frank Edwards called Stranger Than Science, and in that book, uh, Mr. Edwards devoted a chapter to what he called The Cinder Woman, the strange, baffling, perplexing death of Mary Hardy Reeser in St. Petersburg, Florida in 1951. And we read about that and never forgot about it, gave a book report including mention of Mrs. Reeser's alleged spontaneous human combustion to our classmates and they were, you know, kind of like, yeah, right, Larry, sure, that happens. Uh, So we went through college with a background in in mechanical engineering. We talked to our professors then about this. Uh, And once again, they either never heard of the subject um, or they you know, kind of pretty much dismissed it. Uh, we had one open-minded professor who said, well, you know, look at it, um, dig into it, and maybe you'll find something that everybody else has overlooked. So when we left Lafayette College, we got interested um, in greater depth in the paranormal fields. And we remembered reading about alleged spawn in junior high school. So we went to the Library of Congress to see if we could find any information about this allegedly bizarre transition that Mary Reeser experienced in 1951 down in St. Pete, Florida. And contrary to what we've been told that this was a myth, a fabrication, a superstition, uh, ignorance born of medieval, um, misbeliefs and and misunderstandings, we found that the the local newspapers in July of 1951 reported this as a straight news story. Mrs. Reeser was found the morning of July 2, 1951, literally consumed a powder in her, um, sitting room in St. Pete, there was no significant other fire damage, no significant heat damage to her apartment, and yet Mrs. Reeser's body had been consumed largely to powder. Wow. And interestingly enough, at the time, um, Dr. Walter Marion Crogman, a, a, a renowned forensic anthropologist, was vacationing in St. Pete. He heard about this case, reading about it in the local newspaper, the Saint, uh, um, the Tampa Tribune, for example, and took a personal interest in it. And actually, he was the one who labeled her the Cinder Woman um, because, as he said, she had been burned by what appeared to be incredibly high temperature over a relatively short period of time in an environment that was otherwise devoid of significant flame and heat damage. And um, all those factors aside, he was also perplexed by the, the lack of noxious odor of burned flesh in Mrs. Reese's apartment. And the alleged shrinking of her head to what was described in the media at that time as the size of a teacup or grapefruit or orange. Huh. All those conditions are quite atypical of a normal fire fatality scene.
0: Okay. So, what is a normal scene like? Repeat ahead, that, please. Ahead. Say that again. So I was going to say, what is a normal fire fatality scene like? so much
2: different, it, obviously, than the spontaneous human combustion. Right. A, a normal fire scene, um, let's describe what one would find, what a first responder would find at a, at a structure fire where the temperatures of combustion rarely exceed 1,700 degrees Fahrenheit. What typically is found at such a fire scene, and this includes a structure where the, where the building itself burns to the ground around the, the victim, um, the body can be recognized easily as that of a human being. the The cadaver can be picked up Put in a plastic bag, perhaps taken to the morgue, and the um, mortician or the medical examiner has pretty much a, a full human figured corpse to autopsy. Can look for evidence of an accelerant um, having burned the body. Look for evidence of a crime scene being involved. For example, trauma, blunt force trauma to the to the body before it was burned. Um, the human body is incredibly difficult to incinerate under normal conditions. Even in a retort, which is the best means that science presently can offer to incinerate a human body, um, temperatures are usually about 24 to 2600 degrees Fahrenheit for several hours that necessary to consume a body to the proverbial dust and powder that is passed on and learned to the next of kin. But in cases of like Mrs. Reeser and, and hundreds of other cases that we've been able to document through our years of research into this phenomenon that we um, catalog in our book ablaze, we find bodies burned even more thoroughly than one normally achieves in a crematorium. And yet we don't have the controlled scientific conditions that a retort offers to incinerate a human body. Certainly we don't have um, you know scores of gallons of fuel oil. We don't have a tight combustion chamber. Um, we don't have all the necessary things that a crematorium operator thinks he needs in order to incinerate a human body. And yet, nature, by means that science presently doesn't recognize, let alone understand, um, manages to achieve um, an inordinate incineration of the human body by means, as we said, presently not known. If you accept that research, that is, of course, and many right, people right. don't.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but there's. there's, there's more than
2: just that one case, right? Oh, yes, there are hundreds of cases that we document on a book. The first one that we, that we um, learned about that introduced us to this phenomenon was, of course, the Mary Rieser case, um, and this stuck with us in the back of our mind for many years, and we kind of forgot about it for a while until uh, we left college and began to devote um, a large chunk of our life to investigating some of these 14 subjects that seem to have credible documentation to back it up and yet um, mainstream orthodox science refused to look at the evidence and certainly spontaneous human combustion fit within that, that purview. Um, we got tipped off to a case that happened in the northern quadrant of our state here in Pennsylvania in 1966, allegedly occurring to a retired physician named Dr. John Irving Bentley. We made some phone calls, talked to the assistant coroner, we have talked to some of the firemen involved, and what they told us by phone was sufficiently intriguing that we made a weekend trip um, about 150 miles north of Harrisburg up to Potter County and where we met with the first responder who encountered the ashen remains of Dr. Bentley in his um, first floor apartment on Main Street in Cowdersport, Pennsylvania on the morning of December 5, 1966. Don Gosnell was a firefighter at the time and when he walked into Dr. Bentley's um, rooming house to read the gas meter in the basement, he noticed on the basement floor a pile of ash about 5 inches in height and about 14 inches in diameter. Above the pile of ashes on the earthen floor in the ceiling of the basement was a hole had, that had been burned through the ceiling about 2 by 3 foot in size. Gosling thought, man, this is really strange. What burned and why didn't the fire department or a member get, get a call during the night? He walked back upstairs, knocked on Dr. Bentley's first floor apartment door to he basically bid a, a good morning to the elderly physician and got no response. Mr. Giles now walked into Dr. Bentley's apartment, and noticed nothing unusual in the sitting room, walked into the other room of the apartment, which was Dr. Bentley's bathroom, and there discovered on the other side of the hole that he had just seen from the basement below, now was half of a human leg lying next to the hole, and at that point Mr. Gusner realized that the ashes that he had kicked around with his work boot in the basement were the ashes of what was left of Dr. Bentley. And yet there was no fire or heat damage to the ceiling directly above the um, hole through which Dr. Bentley burned. Next to the hole was a bathtub that had been painted with enamel paint. We were at the fire scene. We can confirm that by first-hand testimony. The paint had not even been blistered by the heat that cremated Dr. Bentley, and Dr. Bentley was an invalid. He used an aluminum walker to help him move about his small apartment, and the aluminum walker was found askew atop the hole through which Dr. Bentley's body had incinerated and burned through, and yet aluminum, which will out at 1,200 degrees Fahrenheit, was completely intact. So immediately, we had to ponder here as to the firefighters, the first responders, the coroner, et cetera, of a human body that apparently would have needed 2,600, perhaps even 3,000 degrees Fahrenheit temperatures for a very prolonged period of time. It burned so completely to powder, leaving behind not much more than a kneecap in that lower one leg, um, and yet failing to melt aluminum, blister lamp, enamel paint. Um, caused the tar-based, uh, highly flammable enolium flooring on the bathroom floor to ignite and take down the entire wooden structure. So the photograph, well, we're to, uh, the photograph that we're able to get of Dr. Bentley's death scene has become the quintessential evidence for a classic spontaneous human combustion fire scene.
1: All right, what would they put down as a cause of death?
2: That's a very interesting question because we met with the, the assistant deputy uh, coroner. We also spoke at some length with the coroner who actually filed the death certificate. In the state of Pennsylvania where this happened and where we reside, a, a coroner's death certificate is a legal document, of course, and is supposed to be an absolutely accurate recording of the situation of a person's death. In the case of Dr. Bentley's death certificate, it says that he died by asphyxiation. Well, that presents a medical quandary because there was no trachea left in the ashes of Dr. Bentley to be medically autopsied. So there's no way that anyone could state categorically, based on evidence, that Dr. Bentley asphyxiated in an external fire. Uh, Secondly, the death certificate says that Dr. Bentley's body was burned about 90%. As the deputy coroner, John Deck, told us, that also was a misrepresentation. As he told us, Dr. Bentley's body was burned about 99%, and far more thoroughly than you would ever find in a normal fire combustion event, uh, mass combustion event.
1: Now, what did you get? uh, Did you have an opportunity to talk to family relatives or
0: of the doctor? Witnesses? Are there ever any Witnesses?
2: there there were no witnesses to the actual combustion of Dr. Bentley. As we said, Don Gosnell was the first responder who first discovered this amazing fire scene and by that time Dr. Bentley's body had burned to ashes. Uh, Years later we were able to um, be introduced to um, relatives of Dr. Bentley and they gave us some additional background information that was useful in determining just what probably happened at the fire scene. his daughter-in-law told us that it was Dr. Bentley's habit to sit in his um, easy chair in the family room and watch television until 11 or 11.30 at night. Um, shortly thereafter, he would retire and wake up in the morning waiting for his caretakers, his, his duty nurse to come in and, and make sure that things were you know, hunky-dory, peachy keen fine. Mm-hmm. So presuming that, that, that he was alive, you know, this is normal routine, he was probably alive around 11 p.m. or midnight of December fourth, and the body, such as it was, wasn't a body. It was discovered by Don Gusnell the following morning, about um, nine o'clock. If memory serves.
1: Well, I was just curious if they, if the, if the family disputed the uh, cause of death with, uh, you know, autopsy or, have, you know, the death certificate, because that has to be, you know, you you, you would imagine that be the first question. You know, you say it's this, but yet, oh, we got to late, you know? So,
2: yeah. Right. Well, they, well, one of the interesting things about the Bentley case is, is how little the local population up there, including the next of kin, knew about the true facts of Dr. Bentley's amazing demise. Um, his, his, his daughter-in-law told us that her husband, in other words, Dr. Bentley's son, was yeah. watching um, a program called That's Incredible on ABC back in 1980, in which we documented for the first time on television the amazing flaming fate of Dr. Bentley. And the son's wife told us that he was absolutely stunned and blown away by what he saw in that program because until then he never understood the nature of the death of his father. No one was willing to describe to him the actual facts of the fire scene. So he was horrified, surprised, and and quite taken aback by what he learned based on our research, because no one in the community, none of the firefighters, none of the medical professionals were willing to tell the son of Dr. Bentley just how his father had transitioned.
0: Well, it's almost like seeing a UFO and being afraid nobody will believe you, so you never mention it. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Right, exactly, exactly.
0: So have there ever been any witnesses to spontaneous human combustion?
2: there have indeed um, in in the very basic sense by the definition that we gave to you at the beginning of this interview okay. when one becomes burned by, by the sun which would be a, a first-degree burn a redding of the skin or even a more severe sunburn blistering which would be by definition a second-degree burn that is spontaneous human combustion huh. wow. so right there, all, all the, if there's any debunkers listening to this program tonight or, or get it later on an RRS feed or whatever that, by definition, sunburned is spawn calm. Now, getting aside from that as, as the very basis for the reality of this phenomenon being real, when we get into cases like Dr. Bentley and Mary Reeser, the, the extreme classic cases of what history has called spontaneous human combustion, mainstream science is at a loss, and that's where the arguments come. But if your question about has spontaneous human combustion been witnessed outside of sunburn? Combustion. Yeah. Our answer to that also is yes it has. We've been blessed and privileged to interview several dozen people who have either survived partial spontaneous human combustion or have witnessed the phenomenon occurring others.
0: Oh my goodness, they can you can live, huh?
2: Yes, you can, you can live from it. this. You can survive this, you can live to tell the incredible tale of having watched your body go up in smoke or, or blistering spontaneously. And uh
1: I, I well, never heard the day day. about the, never heard about the sunburns because, uh, as a child, I would burn and blister. At least twice, I had a real bad ones. You know, uh, sunburns that blistered and everything like that. Huh? Interesting.
0: Uh-uh. Yeah, interesting. interesting.
2: Well, by so, definition. God, Go ahead, by definition, Ed, you're you're a survivor of partial spontaneous human combustion.
0: <laughs> survived that, too, huh, buddy? <laughs> um, survived Larry, cancer. How, uh, skin, it
1: gave me skin cancer, too, doctor, believe it or not. So, uh, Survived that also. So, uh, Yeah, it sounds a nasty thing, uh, for sure. Go ahead, Annette.
0: Well, it's, it just seems that uh, combustion is so unexplained, but I'm curious on how you know, typical medical science reacts to the extraordinary
2: That's a wonderful question, and we have several um, ways that we can answer that. Um, First and foremost, mainstream science, conventional orthodox thinkers respond to spontaneous human combustion with either abject horror or vigorous derision. They really do not like to deal with the idea that the human body can spontaneously combust whether by blistering or the reddening of the skin or the really extreme examples of Mrs. Reeser, Dr. Bentley, Helen Conway, and, and hundreds of others that we've been able to document. Um, they're quick to deny it. Um, if they gave it consideration at all, obviously they had to come up with an explanation, and they usually invoke the WIC theory, and we can get into that later if you choose to, and we can explain why that failed so miserably. Outside of derision, outside of derision um, they like to debunk it, they like to ridicule it, they like to make fun of it, they like to make fun of those who, such as ourselves, have looked into the subject with um, in depth with an open mind, but without being dismissive about the evidence that, that history and interviews present to us and arrive at the conclusion that this is a real phenomenon that begs for understanding it cries out for knowledge because obviously people are dying from whatever causes their bodies to immolate so thoroughly and completely um, in extraordinary circumstances.
1: Can I ask you a question, Doctor? And this may sound goofy, but it's a question. Um, when a person has internal fever, like say 103, 104, et cetera, is cetera, did that lead up to it by any chance?
2: It might. If, if you look at the Guinness Book of World Records, it says that the highest internally generated human body temperature that has been survived happened to a Georgia gentleman and his temperature went to 115.8 degrees Fahrenheit, wow. which in and of itself is quite extraordinary because mainstream medicine says that when the body temperature goes to 106 to 108, normally that's fatal. So this gentleman um, recorded a temperature of 115.8 degrees Fahrenheit. However, <laughs> If you delve into the medical literature as we have in, in areas where it discusses human thermogenesis, you can easily find cases where the medical community has it to monitoring, measuring body temperatures that have been self-generated to hit 122, 130, 148 degrees Fahrenheit and all these people survived. There's a subset of the phenomena that we document in our Book of Blaze called Indus Amoris, in which people in an altered state of consciousness, oftentimes in religious or spiritual ecstasy, will uh, engender tremendous internal body temperatures, so high that they were able to boil liquid if they put their hand in a, in a bowl of water, for example. Uh. What...
1: What do you think is the cause of this? Have you guys, have you been able to figure it out or anything like that?
2: Well, we actually do think we figured out some of the cases, but at this point we have no way to take our theories and apply them under controlled scientific laboratory conditions to prove or disprove that the theory actually has merit. Um, the The problem with the subject in general is that the cases are so diverse in their nature that we've been unable at this point, uh, perhaps as a limitation of our intellectual um, acumen, to come up with a single theory that can explain the wide breadth and diversity of all the cases that we have in our database at this point. If all the cases were identical, it would be very easy to postulate one single set of circumstances or one mechanism by which we could explain this flaming fatality, but we can't. so we look at um, a variety of explanations and think that some of them have merit in particular cases. We look at biochemistry, we've looked at bioelectricity in the body because as an aside here, many of the cases do not exhibit the, the conditions that one would expect from an oxidizing fire, that is the kind of fire or flame that you get when you strike a match. More often than not the cases appear to be more of an electrical process that is occurring in the body either internally or being uh, projected into the body from some source outside the body. Mm-hmm. So we've looked at biochemistry, we've looked at bioelectricity, there's an energy in the body called Kundalini. Those listeners to the program who are familiar with Kundalini or Eastern medicine will, will immediately think, aha, he's under something here. People who experience Kundalini um, among other physical phenomena, often report extremely high, rapidly elevated levels of temperature in the body. We had the privilege, many years ago, to speak with Gopi Krishna, a leading experiencer and proponent of kundalini energies as a spiritual mechanism, who wrote about and then told us personally of his episodes in which the kundalini energy moving up and down his spinal column had become imbalanced, out of balance. And as a result of that, he told us his internal body temperature rapidly accelerated to the point that if he had not, he told us, the ability to direct his consciousness into his body and rebalance the kundalini flow up and down his spinal column, he told us he would have become a a data case for our, our investigation of spontaneous human combustion. We also look at quantum physics, we look at ufology, because some people who come in too close contact with unidentified flying objects, whatever they be, um, have experienced extreme burning. So once again, by definition, they would have been the victims of spontaneous human combustion. Uh, we look at plasmas, we look at lightning, um, other phenomena that uh, until recently was also denied by mainstream science, but could have and. An according to history, certainly does have a link, a direct causative link to this phenomenon of spontaneous human combustion.
1: Alright, you said there were some that survived, right, besides the gentleman you just talked about. Um, any yes. others or any others that you've
2: been able to talk to and
0: how do they see yeah, do the, the, they see When it's happening? The,
2: the 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 first survivor case that we're privileged to meet in and interview in depth was a gentleman named Jack Angel. And his story succinctly is the following. In uh, November of 1975, he was a salesman at that time. He walked out of a motorhome. He parked the motorhome on a Monday evening at a Ramada Inn in Savannah, Georgia. He had a sales call scheduled for the following morning. Well, he slept through that sales call. When he regained consciousness in his motor home, he awakened to find that his right forearm had been charred black, as he told us, burned crisp to, to, to the bone. And yet he felt no pain when he awakened from this severe burn injury. He noticed that his pajamas had not burned. The sheets on which his body had laid during that prolonged sleep had not charred. He awakened, uh, got dressed, exited the motorhome, and subsequently fainted inside the Ramada Inn. When he second time regained consciousness. This time he found himself in a bed at the Savannah General Hospital, surrounded by a team of physicians, pondering how their patient could have burned himself in such an extreme fashion. Um, um, In fact, we talked to one of the attending physicians, and he told us that Jack Angel's burns were, quote, unquote, internal in origin. Hmm. The only way we can interpret that phrase is that he burned from the inside out. His case was taken on by a team of very high-profile, skilled liability attorneys in the Atlanta area. Um, They were planning to sue the manufacturer of the motorhome for some mechanical defect that caused the burn injuries to their client. About a week before the case was scheduled to go to trial, they had to pull the case from the docket because, as they told us, they simply could not beat the burden of proof necessary to take the case to court. Um, they literally had the camper, the, the motorhome, torn down to the wheelbase, looking for electrical problems, plumbing problems. You know, they looked at for had lightning struck Jack through, you know, through the motorhome. They, they ruled that out. They simply could not find the means by which Jack Angel had managed to have his right forearm burned so severely. And once again, as we have said, the, the medical team attending his injuries said that the burns were internal in origin. Um, the burns were so severe to his right forearm that it had to be amputated just below the elbow. Uh, to our knowledge to his to his death, Jack Angel believed that he was a victim of spontaneous human combustion. But at the time he felt, as we said, no pain. Only when he, he regained consciousness for the second time in the hospital did he begin to experience the agonizing um, discomfort that one would normally asso- associate with such severe burning. And we find this again and again with other survivors, um, Not. So extreme as Jack Angel's, but people who have had smoke erupting from their forearms or from their back, um, they experience no pain. In fact, quite often they're oblivious to their circumstances unless someone is pointing out that their body is going up in smoke.
0: Wow. So victims probably feel no pain, which is kind of a good thing, I suppose. You're going to have to sir, go through spontaneous human combustion.
2: Yes, it would be. And, and we've, that's, that's a very, very astute approach point, Annette, we've noticed in our research that even in the extreme classic cases where there's enough of a, of a head, for example, left behind to say that, yes, indeed, this pile of ash once had been a human being, we, we don't find any evidence of agonizing pain or, or discomfort or struggle. Um, whatever this process is, in general, it appears to be quick and painless, which is a blessing one might say.
0: Well
1: <laughs> So where does the study take you now? I mean, what do you? Is 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 any scientists are any scientists looking at this? And
0: you you know, more believers or more skeptics? were looking at this,
2: or? Well, uh, just just a month ago, we, we met with 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 a couple in in Manhattan. Uh, the lady told us about a case that she witnessed um, in uh, in um, in South Carolina on Thanksgiving in the '70s, if memory serves, and. It turns out her husband um, had multiple times experienced self-smoking of his body. So we have two two new cases, one witnessed and one witnessed slash survived, um, mm-hmm. to help us try to get more clues into the phenomenon that we're discussing with you folks this evening. Um, in the case of Michael, he's the gentleman whose body multiple times went up in smoke, uh, to to emphasize the point that we just made and that you observed in that. Um, he was unaware of his predicament until... Bystanders at a dining table were snickering, and he said, "You know, what are you guys laughing at?" And they said, "Well, there's, there's smoke coming up behind your body, you know." And he was oblivious to his predicament until they pointed it out to him. And that was the case every time that it happened to Michael. Did uh, he where do we go from? Yeah. with that? We repeat, please.
0: Was did he suffer tissue damage from that smoking?
2: He, he did not. Okay. Um, some, some of the other survivors have experienced the first-degree burn. Um, another example would be Kay Fletcher, an Ohio housewife, who is drying the last of her her Sunday breakfast dishes in her kitchen in 1995, and um, she turned her head and noticed that there was smoke coming off her shoulder. Well, her first inclination was logically to think she must have touched something that was aflame and now her garments were afire. Um, Her husband, Mike, happened to be um, nearby at the moment, and he rushed over to his wife, ripped off her outer garments. The smoking persisted, so he ripped off her undergarments. The smoking persisted, and at that point, they both realized the smoking was emanating from her flesh, from the back of her um, shoulders. And that left her with a first-degree burn, a reddening of the skin but no discomfort. Uh, by the time she met with her personal physician, the, the, the reddening, the discoloration of the skin had, had well abated, and all he could do was shake his head and tell her, I don't have anything to offer you as an, as a medical explanation of what befell you that Sunday morning. Wow.
1: Now, so let if, me ask issue... you Go ahead, Annette.
0: I was just going to say, that particular case, she then, ju- it just went away. It didn't continue to burn her?
2: Correct. Our knowledge that this happened only once to a Fletcher. Um, with Peter Jones, who had a similar episode that befell him in October of 1980 out in California, the first time it happened to him, he was sitting on the edge of his bed getting dressed for work in the morning. When his body suddenly spontaneously became engulfed in billowing clouds of a bluish-gray smoke, his wife Barbara was still in bed by his side. She jumped up and started pounding him on the back, on the lap, on the groin, anywhere that she could think to pat out the fire so to speak except there wasn't any open combustion just you know billowing plumes of smoke um, the smoking ceased as abruptly and surprisingly as it began later that afternoon Peter was alone in a car at a railroad grade crossing when the same phenomenon befell him a second time that day
1: I got a question um, Go ahead, Ed. with the individual whose form burnt up okay when I'm sure the doctors did blood tests and everything before the surgery and that did they come up with anything out of balance, or do you know if there was anything out of balance as far as chemistry in the individual
2: we We wish we could answer that question for you we We've tried to get that kind of information from a number of these cases we've been completely unsuccessful we just simply do not know um. Well, unable to answer that question for you. Yeah. We can yeah. say with, with one case that was similar to the classic cases of, of Mary Reeser and Dr. Benley, that case being Beatrice Oski in Bolingbrook, Illinois, in 1979, uh, when we spent several days um, meeting with the Bolingbrook fire officials trying to nail down the decal- details of this case. Um, in that case, Vince Pagno, who was the um, fire marshal at that time for Bolingbrook, he took a great interest in this case because he was completely bumfuddled by it. <laughs> and he, he did order toxicology, worked up on it, and, and the only significant finding they, they could make other than that there was no accelerant present in the remains of Beatrice Oski to fuel uh-huh. the incredible incineration that consumed much of her body, was that there was not a drop of blood left in any part of her anatomy that was still found at the burn scene. And in the Oski case, um, there was a fair amount of, of body structure left reasonably intact, so you could make that assessment, whereas in the case of Mary Reeser, for example, or Dr. Bentley, you could never even you know, do a tox walk-up on, on blood because there just wasn't any bone left. There wasn't any any limbs left to even look for evidence of blood.
0: How about other things? I, I know I've heard that people say that there's weird smells and maybe there's some kind of film on things in a room where Spuntime you where human combustion has occurred. Is there anything to
2: that? Well, we're just the smell first. Um, in a okay. normal fatal human fire scene, the, the, the odor of burned flesh, we are told, is quite noxious, quite unpleasant, and quite often difficult to remove from the fire scene. In cases that history would define as spontaneous human combustion, we don't get that noxious odor at the fire scene. The first responders at these incredible fire fatalities tell us again and again and again that either there is no odor of burned flesh, no odor of fire, or conversely, there is a sweet, perfume-like, redolent scent. In the case of the Oscey fire, it was described to us as hickory-like incense. Hmm. So whatever causes this phenomenon, you have to take into account you know, why does the normal Officious odor of burned flesh not be found? Instead, why do we find either no odor or a sweet perfume-like presence at these fire scenes? You have to take that into account, whatever the explanation would be.
0: And then, huh. is there some kind of a film or something greasy oh, surrounding oftentimes, the Oftentimes,
2: yeah, oftentimes there is a film. Um, we have seen this in, in the case of of George Mott in upstate New York, a retired fireman who was found incinerated through his bed, through his floor, and into the earthen crawl space underneath his, his um, small wood-structured home in the spring of 1986. Um, there was a, a, a caramel-colored film baked onto many of the vertical surfaces in, in George Mott's home. We found this to a lesser extent in Dr. Bentley's apartment and this is probably the result of of, um, condensation from the evaporation of the liquid in the body being burned as well as and mixing with carbon from the combustion process.
1: It's all the lungs, the heart, all the tissues right down to the bone. It's as sloughed as a piece of dust, you're saying then, basically.
2: In the classic cases, that's exactly what we find. Dr. Bentley was about a 175-pound gentleman on December 4th. The morning of December 5, he was found burned to a few pounds of ashened rubble, uh, save for a piece of uh, patella, the the kneecap, and the lower half of one leg. it was it was argued as to whether it was argued as to whether or not the skull was left intact and when we finally got the photographs we were able to see a an an nondescript ovoid mass supported by the water pipes um, below the the bathroom floor. And we believe that is indeed Dr. Bentley's head. So the rest of his 175, 75 five seventy five pound body was reduced basically to dry calcine powder. As was the case of Mary Reeser back in 1951, she also weighed about 175 pounds before the incident. After that, she weighed in at about eight pounds, and that included what little remnants of the chair in which she was last known to be seated Um, that added to to her weight. Um, George Mott, the the fireman in upstate New York, uh, probably also about 160 to 180 pounds at the time of the incident or just prior to it. when his body was discovered, the the entire contents of his body, save for once again, half of one leg that was found on the mattress of the bed through which the rest of his body burned, and his skull, which we were told by the first responders, had shrunk in size that could be fit into a shoebox. Everything else of, 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 of George Mott was powder weighing a few pounds.
0: You know, it seems so real the way you describe it, Larry. Why do you think most people are so quick to dismiss the idea of spontaneous combustion?
2: Because the, the the fire scenes that we've just been describing to you, and that we have photographs of and that we have documented by the testimony of the first responders and in some cases our own on-site investigations, is really xenophobic for many people, particularly the experts in fire science. They've investigated, or they've invested years, even decades, in thinking that they know just about everything there is to know about fire science and fire behavior. And the fire scenes that that we chronicle in our book are so distressing, so unconventional, so unnerving, that we found again and again that that members of the firefighting community really don't want to deal with this body of evidence because it is just too frightening, too disconcerting to their expertise, if you will. We've had this demonstrated to us at the National Fire Academy in Emmonsburg, Maryland, where senior fire instructors literally ran down the hall away from us when we tried to hand the photographs of the cases that we've been describing to you. Um, And yet one of the senior instructors there, you know, responded just the opposite way, responded in the way that we would hope that members of the firefighting community would respond. He said, I've heard about this. I've never seen it. You have photographs. Come into my office. Sit down. Tell me what you know, because we don't have a clue. And that is a direct quote. We don't have a clue. Is there any
0: pattern to spontaneous human combustion, any commonality between the victims that you've been able to research?
2: Again, if we could answer that in the affirmative, it would make understanding the phenomenon so much easier. Um, when you have a when you have ages of the victims ranging from six-month-old toddler in a crib to a Hindu holy man who's 114 years of age, um, it's hard to find common factors. Um, it was once argued that all victims of spontaneous human combustion were were invalids, were elderly, were drunken sots, and were overweight and led inactive sedentary lives. Those conditions clearly are not uniformly present in our database. Um, by gender, we have 50% of the victims being female, 47% are male. The other 3%, history just doesn't tell us the, the gender of the victims. So by gender, it's about 50-50 male or female you're likely to experience this phenomenon. Granted, and we, we must stress this, this is an incredibly rare phenomenon. If it weren't so rare, it would not be so easily Dismissed by orthodox science, the odds of being struck by lightning multiple times are, are greater than being the victim of spontaneous human combustion in the classic sense.
1: Okay. Um, have you done any backtracking to uh, uh, what could I say? Old science, old. What would I say? Um, ancient religious ancient stuff. Of- yeah, because you you mentioned about the head shrinking. Okay. And I saw a documentary on TV where there are
2: tribes that did shrink head. Okay, and that is that is true. We, we saw. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, we, we saw the same documentary, and um, that confirmed what we we've not long known about the history of of human head shrinking. It's a very tedious, time-consuming, exacting, laborious process in which the the skull is removed from the skin surrounding the skull. Um, the skin is packed with with sand and heated repeatedly until the, the, the skin literally shrinks down. In cases of spontaneous human combustion where well, we have references to shrunken heads, and we have three cases now where we have found this reported, um, obviously the bone has not been removed. You know, the head has shrunken in situ, intact. And once again, this is not supposed to happen to this extent in in any kind of fire situation. Um, Usually the head will explode, sometimes it will will condense slightly, but not to the extent that you can put uh, an adult human head in in a normal size shoe box, not to the point where the head can be described as being the size of an orange or a grapefruit. That just doesn't happen to our knowledge except when history presents us with these incredibly astounding cases of whole human incineration in an environment that is otherwise largely devoid of heat and fire damage, which brings us back to the definition of classic spontaneous human combustion.
0: Where could now people I, find your... Go ahead, that I was going to say, I'm not really someone who believes so much in alien life forms. However, this just seems like something that could lend itself to... Contact from outside civilization. Do you think that's true? Like when they have, when they find cattle that's been mutilated, or you know, where it's just so outrageous and so rare. Do you think there's anything to that?
2: We certainly do believe that the cattle mutilation phenomenon is a real event. We're not going to go into what causes it. We, we truly don't know. That is not our area of expertise. But yeah. as we alluded to earlier um, in our book, we devote a full chapter um, to the historical data that makes a connection between unidentified flying objects in the sky, whether of alien extraterrestrial technology or something more arcane than that, but something involving what people describe as being UFOs, intelligently guided craft of some sort, associated with people being burned spontaneously. um, we, We certainly do explore that relationship in a blaze.
0: Okay,
1: so that's I... so outrageous.
0: Possible. Go ahead,
2: Where could I find your book, port- The easiest way to find it right now is to um, go to Amazon.com and and type in a blaze with an exclamation point and our name Larry Arnold, and it'll pop up, and you can order it directly through Amazon.com. Um, the retail is twenty four ninety five. We do understand that on occasion some people are selling it as a first edition collectors' volume for like 70 or $80, you know. But we also often, as a, as a favor to your listeners tonight, if they respond to um, having heard our discussion with you about this amazing subject and request the book, um, we're discounted for $20 that would include shipping anywhere in the United States, postage paid, and we'll even autograph the book personally if you like a first edition. We have a few left. The way to do that is to contact us by email or at our website. The website is www.parascience.com, P A R A science.com, and you can find our email address there. There's a note saying you want to get.
1: You said the book's got photographs and
2: everything else in it, huh? Absolutely. This is a this is a big thick book. It looks like a Stephen King novel. We've been told that it, it reads like a Stephen King novel except his work is fiction. Ours is fact. Yeah. Based yeah. on years of, of hard, diligent archival research. Going out into the field and talking to first responders, collecting the photographs, you will see astonishing, amazing photographs in this book that will really cause you to scratch your head. If you think you know everything there is to know about fire behavior and fire science and you've not read our book, you don't know everything there is to know about fire science and fire behavior. Is
0: there anything a person can do to prevent spontaneous human combustion?
2: As we said, the odds of you experiencing SponCalm in the first place are incredibly minute. Uh, but should should you uh, get the symptoms of, of finding your body suddenly becoming very hot from within or finding yourself encountering a, a plasma ball of fire, for example, um, in the latter case, duck, uh, otherwise remain calm under fire, if you will, as Peter Jones did, he was the gentleman who twice found his body going up in smoke in one day back in October of 1980. And let nature take its course. Um And then call you're better Larry. off. <laughs> and then right? call Larry, yeah. yeah. <laughs> or get some or get somebody to take photographs and, and video of it. We'll be most interested. Most interested.
1: Have you gotten any
2: video? <laughs> yeah, we we wish we could. Um oh, gotcha. years ago. Years ago, David Letterman contacted us, actually his staff contacted us, and said they'd like to have us come on and discuss spontaneous human combustion with David. I thought, well, that'll be a great opportunity. We can both have a lot of fun with this, get our information out to a a new audience. And then they threw a condition at us. They said, well, you have to bring somebody who will spontaneously combust on camera. And at first we thought they were joking until we realized, no, they were being deadly serious. And I said, well, you know, A, we can't do that. We don't know anybody who can spawn common Q. And even if we did, we would not use the David Letterman Show as the venue for that. We'd be putting that person in a scientific laboratory and running lots of tests to to find out exactly what was going on. So we never had the opportunity yet anyway to discuss spontaneous combustion with David. Um, Maybe someday we'll get some video or somebody will be in the right space at the right time, and and that'll happen.
1: Is this getting into the mainstream as far as curiosity of people, or is this your drive, what you're driving to do, get this um... situation known by more people
2: well our motivation certainly is is to get the phenomenon widely accepted better known by the general population and certainly by the scientific community because as we said people continue to experience this some of them continue to die and until mainstream science gives this the credibility and the attention that we believe it deserves people are going to continue to die from this malady uh... whatever is causing it It's fascinating. It's perplexing. Frankly, it is macabre. uh, But on the other hand, it raises, at least in our mind and a few others, so many provocative, intriguing avenues for research uh, and tells us that the human body is capable of amazing things that medicine surely doesn't yet understand, let alone appreciate the reality of. And until that happens, this phenomenon is going to continue to perplex and, and, and kill people.
1: Okay, Doctor. Um, the book is A Blaze, Spontaneous Human Combustion. You could view it on or get it by Amazon.com. You also could go to the website. What's the website again?
2: Parascience, E A R A science.com. para meaning, of the under alongside science is, is the area that we investigate, which certainly includes contentious combustion, but there is a phenomena that lie outside beyond science, per se, as presently defined and understood, and yet there's good documentation for this. So we're looking at something that is outside of science, and yet, in our view, should be included within science.
1: Okay, Mr. Arnold, we'd like to thank you. we got like five minutes left, so I'd like to say thank you at this time. And. Uh, Maybe we'll have you on again in the near future talk about um, some more cases and anything that's come up, let us know, okay?
2: We'd be happy to do that. We'd be happy to share some more information with you. Uh, The book is about 500 pages, so there's a lot of material in there that we can cover in another interview. As we said, it's a fascinating subject, and we hope we've been able to stir some interest and intrigue with your listeners tonight or whenever they hear the broadcast, and it's been our pleasure to share an hour with you, too, this evening.
0: It was very interesting. Thank you. Thank you so much, Larry. I appreciate it. Thank you, Annette. Thank you. Good night. Bye-bye. Good night. Eddie, have you any announcements for us?
1: Yeah, that was very interesting. Uh for yeah. sure and um the listeners should take advantage me. of the listeners should take advantage of the um of what yeah. he offered at this, at the website, for sure. And if you're just tuning in, listen to the show. Um you'll find this very interesting. Um what it has to say yeah I believe I do and I I also believe that science prefers not to it doesn't happen enough probably that it intrigues them and when it does happen uh, you know this let's not put no time into it yeah
0: someday some researcher or scientist somewhere is going to discover the reason why by accident and it's going to open up a whole myriad of new treatments and so forth that we can perform for cancer patients and, you know, terminal patients, that is just going to be phenomenal. I just have a feeling. Because when you're dealing with a heat source that's coming from the inside of the body, extending outwards, there's got to be a way that that can be used in a good way. You know what I mean? Or even mind yeah. control it.
1: Something. Yeah, It's very interesting. Because uh, like I said, i seen that thing about the, sh- the documentary about the, Shrinking the heads, and I, I thought that was just you know, I didn't know that was actually being done until I seen the documentary, and it's like whoa, you know, he thought that was just some type of wives tale, but um, no, but the whole skull shrinks is what he says, and it's I find interesting considering the rest of the burn, the rest of the body, in most of the cases, does turn to ash, but yet the skull, in a lot of the cases, have been uh, remained, and the head shrunk. Interesting, interesting, interesting. Yeah.
0: Probably from all, yeah. Like I said, all the uh, the moisture being sucked out of it, which is kind of you know.
1: I'm one of those that had 104 fever uh, as a child, and well, I'm glad um, it
0: wasn't 140 or whatever he said was <laughs> not proven okay. possible. But you're talking
1: about being delusional from the from the fever, and that wow, does that play mind you know mind games on you? Does yeah. you know uh, yeah yeah um, yeah it's it's uh, Whole different uh it's an experience i hope i never encounter and i hope no other kid encounters because uh came along with the german measles and boy was it bad but um our next show listeners will be on february i'll tell you in a second okay february good going ed <laughs> oh congratulations on that um your team won, so uh,
0: <laughs> I know we're going to the <laughs> bowl. Oh, <Bowling> the saints! <laughs> it's
1: one reason we're not going to have a, a February seventh broadcast, ladies and gentlemen, Super Bowl night, <laughs> and uh, uh, yeah. So uh, it'd, be, it'd probably be a, uh, a sports roundup, if anything. But our next upcoming e- episode is uh, not on Sunday night. It's on February fourth, and it's a Thursday night. And then we're going to have one at, on the 23rd, which will be a uh, Tuesday night. We pretty much have um, conflict of dates with things that are going on and stuff like that. So that's why it's going to be, um, February is going to be kind of free with um, Sunday night broadcasts. And and that I will call you in two minutes because I did receive a phone call from Jim. So Okay. Uh, yeah. So I'll call you in two minutes. Listeners, thank you. Larry Arnold, thank you. His book, Ablaze, Spontaneous Human Combustion, very, very interesting. Can be found on Amazon.com. And thank you, Larry. EraScience.com. Yep. And say that again.
0: EraScience.com.
1: Okay. And if you listen to the show, you can hear the offer that they're giving. And you can get an autographed book from them by going through their website. Listeners, see you in February. Annette, talk to you in a couple minutes. It was enjoyable. The show went okay. by fast. It went by be real cool, fast. Be cool, Ed, would you? Uh, yeah, I'm still, <laughs> eh, you can hear my voice. At least I didn't, uh, um, I didn't start coughing during the show. You know, I made sure I had a cigarette before. Okay, <laughs> I'll
0: talk to you later. It be, y'all. Bye-bye.